It's another wonderful, happy Friday here in New York City. You're watching I Love Photography on April 11th, 2014. I'm here, as always, with the lovely Sarah Jacobs. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Alan. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, they said uh, this past evening in New York uh, was the warmest evening this year, which is kind of hard to believe because it's the middle of April already. <laughs> Yeah, you think that would have already happened. Yeah, but it was a low of 56. I, you know, I hate that we have to keep talking about the weather every time we start the broadcast, but, you know, it's kind of a big deal. We had a, we had a really crappy uh, winter here in New York. We did. We deserve... So I think there's a lot of excitement. Yeah, there is. <laughs> you know what else I have a lot of excitement about? Hmm. Photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name of this broadcast, uh, I Love Photography. But why don't we get straight into it? And as always, we start with something a little heavier so that we can sort of progress into the less heavy. Um, but this past week, uh, another photojournalist was killed uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, Anya Niedringhaus, a uh, longtime uh, photojournalist who had covered uh, Afghanistan pretty extensively and uh, kind of tragic the way that she passed. She was actually being escorted with an official, uh, with officials, with policemen, etc. When another policeman basically opened fire on the on the on the party, um, killing two people, and it's just just kind of senseless. And you know, the one thing that I was reading uh, about her life is that she really she really spent a lot of time in Afghanistan to understand the culture, et cetera, and really tried to show different parts of Afghanistan and the conflict, et cetera. And, and it, it's, she wasn't this type of person who kind of just dropped in and shot a few frames and was with an embed and then flew out. You know, she really worked that uh, for a long time. And so I, I think it's just kind of tragic to see uh, kind of another senseless death here. And um, a lot of different places had tributes to her uh, Again, Alan Taylor over at the Atlantic, a uh, friend of Photo Shelter, had some wonderful photos from her career and uh, saw kind of an outpouring of love on Facebook. So that was just nice, a nice way to remember uh, a, a great photojournalist um, in sort of tragic times. Yeah, I was reading an interview with David Guttenfeld, yep. and he just had the utmost respect for her. I mean, he, he said that, you know, photojournalists will go out and ask themselves, what would Anja do? You know, so it's yeah. obvious that they that they uh, really held her work in high regard. Um, and so, uh, as I was going through my Facebook feed this week, I also saw that Chris Honchros, his book came out. So I promptly ordered it. Oh, look! Um, you already have it in in the flesh. I have it. It's called <laughs> Testament. Chris Honchros, who was killed in the Libyan conflict, um, who I had the pleasure of seeing. Uh, at the Eddie Adams workshop uh, present many, many years ago uh, when he was showing some work from Iraq. And it was just this, it was amazing because he showed us all the frames out of the sequence when they were kind of on a night patrol and then they came across this little girl who, whose parents had been killed and there was blood all over this little girl's hand. But you saw kind of how, the, how he worked the scene, which was so eye-opening for me um, because not every picture was great. He was working the scene. And then all of a sudden this, this amazing picture uh, shows up and you're like, oh my god, no wonder that is an award-winning photo. It's just amazing. Anyway, this particular photo 
I can't remember exactly, maybe like Liberia or something. Here's a soldier carrying a, a rocket-pelled grenade launcher, like obviously amped up, like running towards Chris. And I remember seeing it at the time, and, and, and when I first saw it, I was like, uh, okay, whatever, it's another like war zone photo. And then when I sort of looked at it again, I was like, oh my God, Chris is like, I don't know, 15 feet away from this guy. Directly in his path. Directly yeah. in his path of fire. He has, and he, he catches him at the moment that the guy's jumping up in the air. He has the fortitude to sort of level everything off and check his exposure and all this kind of stuff. And it, it brought sort of a new appreciation for what these guys do on a daily basis. Um, so go out and get that book. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful book and a, and a great guy. Um, so again, just tragic. Two fantastic photographers, two great people uh, that we unfortunately lost to, to war. And what more is there to say about that? Um, the Webby Awards. Yeah, on a lighter note. On a lighter note. Yeah, the, the Webby Awards there. Yeah, this is the 18th year of the Webby Awards, um, and it's a celebration of all things internet, basically. Um, but of course, I looked into the category of social, best photography, and graphics, and it's always fun to see what brands are are doing with photography and uh, how they're helping photographers. And um, there's some really good candidates up, uh, including GoPro, who they're up for their Instagram. If you are an adventure photographer, you got to be following GoPro on Instagram. I mean, they're just posting crazy stuff every day. Um, crazy. Also, yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, also, the National Geographic's Proof blog, I feel like that's sort of a shoe-in and kind of, I mean, it has to be nominated. I mean, that's... And it feels like they just launched yesterday. I mean, it really has only been a few months since they launched, right? But there's oh. some great, great work up there. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that will probably be my vote is for the proof. I'm right. Um, but uh, I thought the one of the more interesting uh, ad campaigns nominated is uh, Mercedes Benz Take the Wheel, um, and Mercedes, you know, came out with this uh, CVR car, and they wanted to target Gen Y, which you know Gen Y thinks that Mercedes is for their dads, basically. Um, so they hired, what Mercedes did is they hired five of Instagram's best photographers, including Paul Octavius mm -hmm. um, and a few other great, great guys and, and one woman. Um, and they hired them to just drive around in the new Mercedes CBR. And they didn't even give them a brief. They didn't pre-approve any images. It was just like, go have fun in this car, take a road trip, and post images with the car. Uh, out on on landscapes. That's and, pretty and sweet. That's a good, I, that's a sweet gig. I know. And whoever got the most likes on Instagram won the car. So it was this great way for uh, Mercedes to introduce the CRV to Gen Y. I mean, it's it's a great campaign. I think. I, I thought it was a brilliant campaign. I should point out that Mercedes didn't just randomly source these people. Um, they actually went to Tinker Mobile, which is a uh, an agency, um, Tinker is an agency, and Tinker Mobile is their mobile phone agency, and I think they have something like 25 photographers or so. And the the whole uh, reason they exist is to promote iPhoneography, 
And I guess the criteria to be on this roster is you got to have like, you know, like 100,000 followers on Instagram, which makes sense. I mean, they want people that have sway. And when Mercedes-Benz comes and says, we want to do an ad campaign, you don't want to have like, you know, 400 followers like I do. That's probably not going to get <laughs> a lot of, you know. Well, no traction, no. There's no traction there. <laughs> That's right. Uh-uh. No, well, Chris, Chris Ozer Ozer won, and I need to follow, I need to find him on Instagram and follow him. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting what people were doing with those photos. I mean, it's definitely worth checking out these photos and, and seeing how they portrayed it and seeing, you know, they had to use the, they had to use the, the, the iPhone. They couldn't, or whatever cellular phone, that, the mobile phone that they were using, they couldn't use a DSLR and then use right. Wideagram and then upload it. So, right, right. It's cool. Oh, you know, it's like the same tool that everyone else has in their pocket, and they had to do it. Yeah, awesome campaign. Anyway, go vote. Go vote. Uh, for the Webby Awards and which category you think should win or nominee. Um, speaking of the proof blog, you had a, a great photo here. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of Daniel Hjorth, wow. Yes, yes, photographing portraits uh, of kids who participate in the Polar Bear Ice Swimmers Club this in makes Copenhagen, no sense Denmark. <laughs> no, these people are insane. They're jumping into below freezing waters. I, I mean, no. But you know, as a person from Hawaii, this really makes no sense to me. <laughs> I know it's like the exact opposite of what you're doing for fun. Yeah, I like shiver when I drink when I drink some uh, a glass of water, a glass of ice water. You know, <laughs> oh, God, I... <laughs> yeah, these are some eight-year-olds with some thick, thick skin. Um, the portraits are just so, so telling, and that's what Daniel kind of focused on. Um, because he realized that he didn't really need to photograph the entire event of them jumping in and prepping and all that, but the shot of them getting out of the water and what they look like right when they get out of the water, is, <laughs> I mean, that tells the whole story. And his, uh, the sharpness of the images and um, that, that kind of like wet, shiny look reminded me of Jill Greenberg's Crying Baby yeah, series yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and although these, these kids are a little bit older than the Crying Babies, um, I just think that's a funny like juxtaposition of these children sobbing because they can't have candy and then these guys jumping in, you know, freezing water and being it's okay. A, it's a cool image for sure. And, and if you didn't know the context, you'd think someone fell through the ice. Yeah, except, that's... Well, they did fall through the ice, except that they jumped on purpose. Right, except that they, they meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. Um, so you brought up this uh, James Franco exhibition called yeah. New Film Stills, sort of inspired by Cindy Sherman. I, I wouldn't even use the word inspired. I would just say... Copied? Copied. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, James Franco is showing his series, New Film Stills, at the Pace Gallery uh, in New York this month. And it's him, he recreated, I'm not sure exactly how many of the images, but a, a, a good handful, all varying in different sizes, and, you know, used silver gelatin printing. Um, you know, and a lot of people have, have recreated these. I feel like, you know, if you're a student and you're studying photography, you're probably at some point might try to recreate Cindy Sherman's. I mean, it's been recreated with a Bratz doll. Um, you know, so this, is, this has happened a lot, but I'm having trouble here understanding why Franco wanted to do this and how he got placement in pace. Because <laughs> he's James Franco. But yeah, oh, no, man. I totally agree. These are, these are, I mean, I've only seen this one. 
I'm not going to go see the exhibition because James Franco is not a photographer. I mean, he's a talented actor. He does a lot of different things. Yeah. But but this is this is not great photography. No, it's a uh, no, it's not. Agreed. I'm still going to go see it, but <laughs> Okay. Well, you you bring us the report. Now, you know James Franco was also in the news this week. Mm -hmm. for some interactions on Instagram with a 17-year-old girl, which wasn't so cool. No, yes, I did see that as well. Um, I don't know. I think it was probably a publicity stunt for his new movie, Palo Alto, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, so it, was, it, put, it put a little bit of bitter taste in my mouth, and then, you, and then I saw the pace stuff, and then I was like, ah, this guy, forget this guy. <laughs> forget him. Or maybe I, I was a little jaded because of the Instagram stunt or whatever it was. Right. I don't know. Oh, James. Um, oh, James. Speaking of Cindy Sherman and old school and, and whatnot, I saw this in the Times yesterday. Uh, Katrine Eisman from SVA uh, had, had it in her feed on Facebook, and it's uh, Diane Arbus records uh, a Bronx family's unsettling dynamic, and here's a guy named Eddie Carmel who grew uh, to seven foot two or something like that as a result of uh, a thyroid tumor, agromegaly as they call it. Um, and it's just kind of a weird, fo you know, the article talks about the, the sort of stilted relationship that they had and how the father was really disappointed in the son. They were, the, the parents were Orthodox Jews from what has now become Israel. The son wasn't really into religion and, and politics um, but they say the mom kind of secretly liked the son and, and the fact that he did his own thing. And here's this photo that she took. She befriended the guy, knew him for like years. Um, and here's a photo of him kind of like staring down at his parents at a point where he could no longer walk without a cane. Um, but apparently this guy, Eddie Carmel, was known for being able to create kind of silly poetry on the spot, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. And... Uh, so he died almost a year to the day after Arbus uh, took her own life. Uh, and he was being interviewed about Arbus, and they said, make a poem about Diane. So oh, wow. at the end of the article, and maybe I'll take the time to read it to you because it's just, it's so cute. Yeah, I didn't read it. So Yeah, so a long time ago I had a real strange pal, a truly strange and wonderful gal, in a world that's growing quickly and seems to be in some kind of weird stir here was a marvelous gal, a photographer, who would suddenly open her up her little eyes and mutter and quickly snap her camera shutter. Diane Arbus is now not with us anymore, and it's a tragedy that we suddenly uh, that suddenly we have faced the closing door of a wonderful gal, a talented one, affectionately known as the lovely dear old son of a gun, Diane <laughs> Arbus. Wow, that's brilliant. guy made that up on the spot. Wow. Now, yeah. Okay. So the rhymes are a little puerile, but that's that's you know that's poignant. That, that was is. like his friend. He was kind of a social misfit. Yeah. And Diane was kind of his friend. <laughs> so anyway, I check that out in the New York Times. It really is a great story surrounding that uh, photograph. And that was our sort of appreciation. Well, we didn't really appreciate Cindy Sherman too much other than to say that Franco ripped her off. Right. <laughs> but we did appreciate <laughs> Diane Arbus there. Yeah. That was great. Uh, the, the coming of spring means that it's opening day across all the bar ballparks. Yeah. Um, and over in Chicago, I love these. So Chicago Tribune photojournalist Brian Casella 
So, you know, a lot of these cameras, like my Nikon D4, has the ability to take multiple exposures. And it's not limited to, like, two exposures. You can actually just dial in how many exposures you want to take. Now, apparently, it's not as easy as that. I mean, it is as easy, like, you don't have to wind back your film like we had to back in the old days on the spool. But you have to sort of pre-visualize what the photo is going to look like because you have to put the second or third exposure in the, in the dark places or in the negative spaces in your photo. Well, so Brian did a series on opening day, and they're just kind of lovely photos. Yeah, they're really fun. It reminds me of kind of looking at a reflection in a window where you're seeing like multiple images. Mm-hmm. You know, except that there are three images in these photos. So I was at the NPPA Northern Shore course a few weeks ago, and one of the presenters was Marcus Yam, who's at the uh, over in Seattle, uh, and formerly uh, contributed uh, to the New York Times. He wanted to do a feature on Seattle, and he came up with sort of the same concept. And when Marcus was pitching it to his editors, they said, well, let's see if I can find it. I might have forgotten to pull it up. He said, uh, they said, uh, Marcus, the problem we're having is that you can't manipulate photos. And he said, well, what if I do it all in camera? Oh. Okay, that's different, right? So we have, for ethical reasons in, in photojournalism, you can only tone and make adjustments, subtle adjustments to the photo, but you can't composite photos, even if it's sort of obvious that it's a composite. Because who knows, right? People people get fooled and, and whatnot. So they said, ah, okay, well, if you do it in camera, then it's what the camera caught. And so he did a series, and I wish I had the link here up. Look up Marcus Yam, Google Marcus Yam, uh, uh, multiple exposure. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I liked those better than the ballpark ones. The Seattle, yeah. yeah. And, and you could tell he really thought out he, uh, he created a whole plan, wrote down all these notes about what he wanted to capture within each frame. It's really well thought out and great series. That, could, that guy's a very talented photographer, by the way, and, and just seeing how he sketches and he thinks about photography. I, I really enjoyed hearing him speak, uh, and just a really nice guy. Uh, and, and just a crazy story about how he came to America as a kid and on his own and was an engineering student at RIT and then like his senior year said, I'm going to switch to photography because he had like some internship. And then he said, I'm going to dedicate my life uh, to photography, uh, much to the chagrin of his parents who then disowned him. It's just like crazy stuff, but he's, he's really thriving uh, as a photographer. So kudos to, to Marcus uh, for, for trying this stuff out. You know, Sarah, a couple weeks ago we talked about the most viewed photo ever <laughs> and uh, we found out, well, people are speculating, and I think it's probably true that it's that Windows XP background. Yeah, the bliss photo. The bliss photo. Yeah, of green fields and, and bright blue sky. Um, and we sort of speculated, like, what, what was up with that photo? Was it Photoshopped? And then this week, Microsoft, of all people, interviewed this guy and put it out on the Microsoft channel. Yes, and it was taken by uh, Charles O'Reary. Charles O'Rear. Ch- yeah. Excuse me, Charles O'Rear. Um, yeah, who's based outside of San Francisco. He took the photo with a Mamiya and Fujifilm, and it is not photoshopped. 
Um, and you know, Microsoft wanted this uh, this photo so bad that they they paid for a plane ticket for him to hand deliver the the film to Microsoft's headquarters in Seattle, <laughs> which I thought is the best part of the story. Yeah, they were like, oh, we'll fantastic. just fly you we'll just fly you up here. You know, and we the don't reason wanna... is FedEx and UPS wouldn't ensure the value of the photo because they paid him ostensibly a lot of money, as they should, because they did a whole rights buyout on the photo. Mm-hmm. And so when he filled out the slip for FedEx to say, hey, this photo is worth, you know, a million dollars, they're like, we're not taking that. <laughs> so Microsoft was like, all right, we'll just send it up with the photographer. You know, the baller move would have been, uh, we'll send Bill's plane out to come pick you up. That yeah. would have been the baller move. Oh, yeah, true. That would have been sweet. But, but then you found this other photo. Well, yeah, so it turns out that Charles O'Rear is a photo shelter member. <laughs> Which is insane. <laughs> Which is amazing. We're not looking at the exact XP photo, the Bliss photo, but uh, this is one of his others. Um, not much going on in, on his site, but, you know, he still, uh, he still logs in. Still kicking it. Still kicking it. So yeah, thanks, so, Charles. of course, he can't display the Bliss photo because he sold the rights to Microsoft. Ah, uh, right, of course. Full rights buyout. But, yeah, no, I saw this, and I was like, Oh, I guess the light does hit the hills, and when the clouds are out, in such a way that it looks really like that Windows XP background. Yeah, and when you're using, you know, Fuji film, then there you go. It just pops. Those colors just pop on you. Yeah. Wacky. That I, I, I really, you know, who watches the whole YouTube video, especially when it's like seven minutes long? But I watched it. I watched it. <laughs> I thought it was cool. You know, and he, he also said, I, I don't think I could have captured it on 35 millimeter. Yeah, he was, he like, he was really into his Mamiya RZ67, man. Yeah, yep, yep. That's old school. Here's uh, something that I found. I think it was on Petapixel or something like that. That's terrifying. It's sort of, <laughs> it's, it's sort of terrifying <laughs> and amazing. So these computer scientists at Washington uh, University... Um, figured out a way to take a single photo of a kid and age it in a very realistic way. Now, you remember watching movies from when you're a kid and they try to make like a young person look old and it's never convincing. Right. Because it's like you can't hollow out cheeks. Like if someone's 20 years old, they have full cheeks and there's no amount of makeup that can make it look, you can make the skin look wrinkly, mm -hmm. but the face is still too vibrant and puffy. Totally. But somehow they add these shadows into this stuff and it make it really ages people and they have these comparisons uh, towards the bottom here of the predicted photo and the actual photo. So here is input age 3 of this kid and then over here is the computer generated photo and the actual photo of a kid at 16. Wow. And you're like, what? <laughs> and I wish they had like a really longitudinal one of like 3 to 80 because that would have been freaky. But yeah. holy smokes. Yeah, no, it's very, very accurate. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I, <laughs> I, I really wanted like there to be an app. That's what we need. <laughs> if there was an app that we needed today, it would be this app. Like, <laughs> what will I look like when I'm old, but like based on some real computer science and... Oh, wow. 
That would be that would make for a great app. They could put that for sale. I feel like people would definitely. Oh, people would definitely. Hey, that's a great idea. Someone license that technology from. Them. Do it. Somebody. Facebook, maybe. <laughs> but oh my gosh, I so wanted. I so wanted to scare you today. Well. With a photo of what I would look when I was in my forties. Just <laughs> kidding. Mission accomplished. Okay. Mission accomplished. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Um, this was going around this, this social media earlier. Classic album covers mashed up with Google Street View. Yeah, it's funny, you know, how, how these pictures on the album covers can make a place look, you know, so romantic. You know, it's taken on film and you put it on a, on a square cover for a record. And then you put it next to Google, you know, Street View, and that just looks, looks like crap. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what does that mean, Sarah? I mean, I, I'm not really into this. <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm not really into this series. The, the Beatles one is so so iconic, though. But 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 you're right. I mean I, I mean I think it says something about the value of a photographer. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah. Oh no, that's you. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, but but it, this sort of reminded me also of uh, of uh, oh, what was that? What was that series we had at Luminance? Of uh, you know, people will overlay photos, old photos, on top of like a new scene. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, and I'm blanking on the name. Yeah, um, it's really popular. It's super popular this this idea, and it's cool. You know what? It's cool. It's cool because I, I I think just like showing the old you know the young baby and the old guy, it's sort of like you're juxtaposing the the future and the present and the past in some form or fashion. Yeah. I, you know, for me, this was kind of like I looked at it for a few minutes. I was like, oh, that's cool, and then and then I moved on to the next thing because I have such a short attention span. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, it took it took them a while to track these places down. So, I guess props to those guys. Uh, Golf Digest, the magazine. Well, they had a uh, a pretty controversial cover, which was to put Paulina Gretzky. Paulina is Wayne Gretzky's daughter, Wayne Gretzky being the hockey great, and Paulina being his very attractive daughter who doesn't play golf. Oh, yeah. But is dating a golfer. Oh, is dating a golfer. He's dating okay. a golfer. So they okay. put, put her on the cover. And and this was also, you know, I read some criticism about this. First of all, she's not a golfer. And this is Golf Digest, right? <laughs> yeah. First Second of all, Golf Digest apparently has historically not put the top women golfers on the cover of the magazine. So the current number one and the, and the former number one have never been on the cover of the magazine. Oh, wow. So now all of a sudden they put Paulina Gretzky on the cover and people are like, what are you, like, this is not Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And the editor, like, defended his position by being like, well, you know, uh, we're, we're, this is tangential to golf and we're in the business of selling magazines so you know it's cool which, which I just didn't agree with yeah no you know, I, I understand like you know you gotta sell magazines and you, and you want the, the cover to stand out on the newsstand and stuff but this is come on yeah come on. this looks like a Maxim cover it does that's in poor taste especially yeah just shame on you Golf Digest haven't even so, put the top women golfers on the cover yeah. yet come on so in response, Sizer uh, in Florida, 
uh, buddy of mine, he did a series. He grabs his friends, all guys, and he recreated the cover. <laughs> and I mean, he really recreated the cover. I mean, look at the lighting position, the shadow, the quality of the shadow. Yeah, it's and perfect. And of course, the, the dude's wearing like <laughs> free pants and uh, a little... Like sports bra. bra or something, right? Yeah. Um, and so he called this the Gretzky Boys. And he threw it up on uh, Twitter and he threw it up on Facebook and then the thing exploded. <laughs> and it was everywhere. Everybody picked it up. Oh man, all the golfers were into it, huh? People were into it. I, and I think, you know, when something like this goes viral, I, I think it's, it's as much as the public's reaction to the social commentary as it is just being like, oh, this is a funny photo. Like, I don't think it, I don't think it went viral just because it's a funny photo of dudes Posing like women, like a woman. I think people are like, Golf Digest is ridiculous is what they're really saying when they pass it on and, and, and they put it on. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a funny little idea. And, you know, Sarah, we, we constantly talk about how do photographers go viral? How do photographers, how do professional photographers replicate the viral success that seemingly like a lot of non-professional photographers have? And I guess I did it. Yeah. Yeah, now Golf Digest needs to call him up and have him shoot the next cover and have it be a female uh, yeah. golfer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Do it, Golf Digest. Let, do it, Golf Digest. <laughs> I'm sure they are listening to the, the podcast right now. Come on, do it, Golf Digest. I know you're on the line. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, we, we would be remiss not to mention drone photography in a week. That would be weird if we didn't talk about it. If we it. didn't talk about drones. <laughs> They're everywhere, these drones. Um, and, you know, we've talked in the past about sort of liability issues in regards to drones, and then all of a sudden we see a drone falls on an athlete's head during triathlon. Because remember when the, when the gas pipe exploded in Harlem, Mm-hmm. That that photographer showed up with his drone and he took some pretty incredible shots, and then the cops said, "Yo, what are you doing? You, gotta, you can't ha- operate that drone. Get away from here." Right. And yeah, I think you and I had a brief conversation of like, "What if it falls on somebody's head?" And then yeah, just a few weeks later, the drone falls on someone's head. Right. But we we also kind of were you know we were a little like, "Oh man, FAA, like what? Why you got to be putting regulations regulations yeah. on us?" <laughs> yeah. And it's all fun and games until someone has a drone dropped on their head. <laughs> right. Now now we get it. Okay, FAA, you, you do what you need to do to regulate well, these, you know, the usage. In, in fairness to the drone uh, enthusiasts here in the U.S., this did happen in Australia. True. So maybe, you know, maybe the Aussies just don't know how to fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making fun of you guys. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, those drones. Um and then, speaking of drones, I, I thought this was was very cool. So yeah, I saw this on Dazed. You saw this on Dazed. This was this yeah. went everywhere as well. Um, and a giant art installation is is spreading like these huge portraits of children in tribal areas where uh, our U.S. drones are operating and killing people. And as a reminder to the drone operators who are operating thousands of miles away or wherever they are on some the safety of an aircraft carrier, that when they drop the bombs, they they have a a chance of killing innocents, which obviously has happened in the past. 
So I thought this was a great, you know, first of all, it reminded me of JR, the artist, um, who loves these large-scale portraits. And I was like, I thought this was a JR project. Uh, it wasn't, but it's a great, a great project. Yeah, yeah, it is. I thought it was interesting they, uh, they chose to, to print a child, not that has been killed by a drone, but whose family has been killed by a drone. So this, yeah. this child is still alive, and I thought that was an interesting uh, just way to, way to do it, to show them, like, these are the people you are affecting. And, hey, Sarah J., I'm not pro-terrorist. I'm just saying when you drop bombs indiscriminately, you're going to kill people innocence and mm -hmm. so that's why I like this project absolutely yeah so it's not I'm with either you're with us or you're with the terror that's not how it is for me that's all I'm saying right no no <laughs> no I, don't worry I didn't think you were okay this now we're moving into the copyright section of the show <laughs> this, so you remember this this was uh, Christina yeah. Hill shot like uh, and I think it was an engagement kiss photo of a gay couple and a politician then stole the photo, State Senator Gene White, stole the photo, composited it into basically like an anti-gay message wow. for her political purposes. And the photographer and the couple, they were like, what the hell? You can't, you can't do that. Well, unbelievably, the judge decided that this was fair use. Uh, I'm sorry, no, no, let me, uh, let me, this is not <laughs> fair use, it's free speech. Right. Saying that political ads were primarily non-commercial. Political ads are primarily non-commercial. <laughs> this after the Supreme Court ruled again, uh, basically saying unlimited spending is okay for political campaigns. That's commercial, man. Yes, it is. I, and That's I'm not an advocating ad. one side of the line or the other. I, I'm just saying this is the politics is clearly a commercial venture when people can spend unlimited money on it, and this is theft. It is, yeah. And this isn't even a case where if they'd gotten in touch with her to try to buy the image, yeah. she wouldn't have said yes anyway. So, <laughs> wow. So, uh, no. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I think I screwed that up. I think I screwed up. Did you screw it I, up? Yeah, I think, okay, so she's saying that you, it, it is a plausible, the judge is saying it is a plausible copyright infringement, uh, but it's not, but it is fair use. I got to reread the article. I got. I just got <laughs> so upset at this. Uh, you know, it, it's just not a good precedent. No. Again, forget about how you feel about gay marriage. Forget about what side of the line you are. This is not good for photographers. Um, okay, sorry, I got a little excited there. Uh, <laughs> TMZ, you know, I I am not a, an everyday reader of this TMZ. This isn't this isn't on your Google reader. It's not on my Google radar, but every <laughs> once in a while, I get compelled to go over and check out what's happening in TMZ world. Mm -hmm. And and Catherine Heigl, uh, the actress, was photographed by paparazzi coming out of Dwayne Reed. You know, these, I, I see them around my neighborhood because I live down in Tribeca and there's like a fancy hotel down the street and there's always paparazzi out there and they shoot, you know, anything. And they have their long lenses, etc. So paparazzi were staking out Catherine and they took a photo of her uh, carrying bags out of Dwayne Reed, which is a, a drugstore here in, in New York. 
And uh, I guess, so this went up on The Wire or whatever celebrity paparazzi sites that there are. And Dwayne Reed then tweeted it, <laughs> saying, love a quick hashtag Dwayne Reed run, e even at Katie Heigl can't resist shopping NYC's favorite drugstore. Whoops. So they basically misappropriated her rights of privacy, as we like to say in copyright land, make, turning her unwittingly into a spokesperson for Dwayne Reed. You can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. So she's suing them. Good. Six million dollars. <laughs> Good. A little excessive. I mean, the game is obviously like you sue them for a lot. You either settle for a little bit or you, you know that the judgment's going to be knocked down. I'm sure she's going to settle for a little bit of money and Dwayne Reed won't do it again, which, which is obviously the behavior that you want to engender. But come on, you can't do that. How can people not know that by now? And you social media managers, come on. You got to listen to our podcast to learn about copyright. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer, Facebook. we are not lawyers. <laughs> yeah, that's, all, yeah, that's all I want to say. <laughs> hey, 11 photographers were announced among the winner of the 2014 Guggenheim Fellowship. So 178 oh. recipients and 11 of them are photographers. And four of them are women. And four of them are women. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about uh, Brenda Canelli. Brenda Canelli, yeah. yeah there yeah. There's some, uh, some great photography in there. Yeah. I went to all of their websites. I looked at their stuff. You know, everybody will have their opinion about the photographs, and obviously we're never short of opinions. And some of the, some of the stuff wasn't my favorite. And some of them yeah. are more like artists than they are photographers. Yeah, like, I, I saw that they, too. They're not great technicians. There's more of a, a statement behind the work, which, which I totally respect as well. I did like Rachel Sussman's work, though. And oh, Rachel has yes. been photographing the oldest living things in the world. Just kind of cool, like traveling around the world on these various grants, photographing the oldest living things. Um, and I think the criteria that she has is they have to be living and over 2,000 years old. That's wow. nuts. Yeah. And like, not the greatest photos in the world, but... Solid idea, though. Solid idea and great execution. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also into Gregory Halpern's work, who's getting a grant, so check him out. Gregory Halpern, all right. Yeah. Speaking of grants, here is uh, Getty offering up to $130,000 worth of awards, grant awards to editorial and portrait photographers, mm. celebrating the 10-year anniversary of its grant program. And as we've said on the broadcast before, photographers who aren't checking this stuff out and wondering how they're going to pay for their next project or saying my Kickstarter didn't work, you got to be aware of the grant. Like that's this is just part of the industry. Mm -hmm. And that's look at this look at this photo by Matt Eich. Love it. Invisible yoke project. Great. Look at the streaming light coming through the window. So check it out. Um, you know we humorously talked about the drone falling on people's heads. We talked about the gigantic portraits for drone pilots in Pakistan. And then, as I was thinking last night, you know, we, we, we've tried 
ever since the debacle on Valentine's Day where we ended with not such a not such a happy story. Right. We've always tried to show something inspiring at the end of the broadcast. And I wasn't sure what it was going to be this week. And then in a bout of insomnia last night, I'm I'm scanning on Facebook. And back home in Hawaii, it's surf season on the North Shore. So uh, Waimea Bay uh, being a very famous surf spot on the North Shore. And I see that there were whales there, humpback whales frolicking in the surf. This is insanity. So look at this. This is a, a long telephoto lens. And you see the surfer here on the front wave. And you see whales there in the back. Oh, man, switch over to that. Oh, yeah, I thought I forgot to switch over. <laughs> you were just looking at my face and enjoying the look on my face. Thinking about whales. So I know it's a little bit hard to see here, but here's the surfer here in the front. And then those two shadows, those aren't like sharks or anything. Those are actually humpback whales. So hard to see in this perspective and appreciate the size of these whales, etc. But turns out that the photographer that was there that day also had a drone. Hmm. And he put together a little drone thing. <laughs> let's, let's play it full screen and see what's up. Oh, yeah. This, I, I watched this for a minute and... Whenever I'm feeling stressed out, I think I'm just going to put on this video and watch it because it's the most calming thing. It's pretty amazing. It, it's beautiful. So obviously, as you're watching it on the podcast, it's, it's kind of herky and jerky. So we encourage you to go to blog.photoshelter.com and check out the link and watch this thing. It is unbelievable seeing these humpback whales so close to land, yeah, so, so close to the surface. Yeah. And four of them. Four of them. Wow. And the shots are spectacular. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So, yay for drones. I'm glad yay, he didn't yay for whales. To fly them over the whales. Yeah, yay for whales. <laughs> yay, yay for uh, Hawaii. <laughs> it's all good stuff. All it's good. all good stuff. You know, Sarah, the next time I start uh, the podcast without reminding people of the hashtag I love photo, Mm -hmm. You need to ring a buzzer or something. I do. Okay. Because yeah. I always forget. <laughs> and we should remind people who are listening to the audio podcast that this is available in video version so you can see our lovely faces and see some of the photos and video that we're talking about on our blog, blog.photoshelter.com. And for those of you watching the video version and wondering how can I listen to this in my car, you can go to iTunes and look up I Love Photography, uh, the podcast, and, and download us there. Hey, do it. Sarah, I'm I'm off to uh, Europe for two weeks. I know. I'm very uh, jealous. What What are you? I mean, who's gonna be here in my absence? <sighs> I don't know. It's a tough seat <sighs> to fill, Alan. I know. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be much better when I'm not here. <laughs> I look forward to showing some of my photos when I get back. I'm going to uh, Paris and Champagne, France. You know, I'm a big Champagne aficionado. You are. I've and one of my that. bucket item list, I, I, I actually, so two bucket item lists that I'm addressing this year, one was to go see the Northern Lights, which I did in Iceland earlier this year, and one is to go to Champagne and go to all these little Champagne houses and drink a lot of Champagne. Wow. So I'm just knocking them off. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, anyway, enjoy the warm spring weather while I'm gone. I'm sure the weather over in uh, Paris will be equally wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see you in a couple weeks. Okay. Thanks, Alan. So for Sarah Jacobs, this is Alan Murabayashi. You have been watching or listening to Isla Photography. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.